Hi team, welcome back to Becoming a Doctor. I'm Kira, a third year medical student at the University of Birmingham. And I'm Lucy, a second year medical student at the University of Cambridge. Welcome back to our podcast series where we bring you honest insights about life as a medical student, discuss current affairs and talk to guests to inform and motivate you on your journey to becoming a doctor. Welcome to our Open Pod mini-series where we interview medical students from all different medical schools. We'll pick their brains and ask all the important questions you would have asked on an open day. There's an awful lot to consider when choosing your medical school, but don't worry, we break it down with our wonderful guests to help you make the most informed decision possible. So don't let a global pandemic get in the way of choosing the medical school that's right for you. So even if you're not in year 12, now is the best time to start prioritising what you want in your medical school. You'll be there for five or six years and you're definitely going to want to enjoy it. So make sure you think about location, the type of course, clinical contact and intercalation. And these are all things we're going to discuss with our guests in each of our open pod episodes. So on today's episode, we've got something a little bit different. We don't have a guest. Um, I'm really sorry to say, we're just stuck with Lucy and I. Bit rude. (laughs) No, for this episode, I, Kira, will be interviewing Lucy about what it's like as a medical student at Cambridge. Lucy actually said to me before recording that she's a bit nervous with this episode, and I'm very excited to give her a good grilling. Oh, thank you, Kira. So lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we, I mean, just tell us a little bit about what year you're in, maybe, but we can skip the introduction. Yeah, I hope you all know by now that I'm Lucy. So I'm a second year medical student at Cambridge, and I go to a college called Trinity Hall. So if you're familiar with Oxbridge, you'll know that both Oxford and Cambridge have colleges and you can either, when you apply, you can either apply to directly to a college or do an open application, which basically will assign you to a random college. And I applied to Trinity Hall and thankfully I got an offer from there. So that's the college I go to now. It's definitely the best one. So if you're applying to Cambridge, make sure you apply there. Okay, so for this episode, I'm just going to warn you now, I know like basically nothing about Cambridge and how everything works. So and I'm assuming that some of our listeners will be as inept. And, well, and that's not offensive, guys. I just, <laughs> genuinely, I don't know much about. Don't so, worry. First of all, when you said you can apply um, by an open application or to a specific college, is there any drawbacks of doing an open application or what are the pros and cons? This is very contested. It's a very big debate amongst the Oxford and Cambridge universities about whether it gives you any advantage to apply openly. So what some people sometimes think, a misconception is that when you do an open application, you're actually applying to all of the colleges, which isn't true. Basically, what they do is because colleges can't interview loads and loads of people, so it wouldn't be fair, say, if one college such as Keys got 100 students to interview and another college such as um, King's only got 20 students to interview. To even it out, they'll move people who applied openly, who said they didn't mind which college they were they would go to to the king's interview to sort of balance out how many interviews each college has to do and to balance out the number of places oh. does that make sense? yeah yeah that's quite it's also quite system. weird yeah i know it is but it it can become problematic because say although i got interviewed at trinity hall what can happen sometimes after the interview is that Trinity Hall might like me enough that I definitely deserve a place at the university, but they not they might not love me enough to give me a place at their college. So it's sort of a, a double whammy, like, yeah, you're good enough. You're just not quite good enough to go to our college kind of thing. Um, or it just might be that they filled up their places in the college because colleges only have a certain amount of places for medicine. So my college has eight, but Keys has 25. So it's very different 
when so that's something you need to consider when you're going and applying to different colleges and so for example at trinity they have eight spaces do they take less applications generally or because i'm guessing it's just like you're doubling your competition rate by applying to a college with eight spaces yeah so that is a common misconception actually because whilst you might think that a college has a fewer spaces for medicine it would be hard to get in because the same number of people would apply that doesn't actually happen because people applying to universities are quite smart and they look at the, all of the different colleges and they go oh gonville and keys or keys as i've been saying before the same place has 25 places for medicine so i'm going to apply there because it means i'm going to be more likely to get in except that so many people do that that keys receives about three times the number of applications than another college that has a third of the spaces so the competition ratio is still exactly the same even though keys has got more places there's just more people competing for those greater numbers these poor people thought they were being really smart by applying to that one actually uh, got even more competition they've landed themselves right in it oh, oh yeah God. i know and you know, when you finally get into Keys and you're like, yes, finally, I've got into Cambridge, it's amazing, I'm going to Gumbel and Keys, that's the place everyone wants to go. Then they get landed with eight essays a week. Oh my Lord. Yeah, I'll come on to the workload from supervisions in a little bit. Yeah, this is stuff you need to know before you apply because I think that would be not a very pleasant surprise to get after your hard work. All of the colleges have little stereotypes about them, like, um, so Trinity Hall is really small and it has an amazing library. Gonville and Keys is like the essay college. Um, make sure if you're a boy, you don't accidentally apply to the women only colleges. So like Newnham College is for is a female only college because, you know, in the past, uh, women weren't allowed to attend the university. And when they gradually phased that in, they had to go to women only colleges. And then obviously that whole that whole thing has been debunked now, but they still keep female only colleges and even though there are female only colleges the ratio of men to women is still like 50 50 and overall it is starting to change so some of the female only colleges have started accepting men now mm, interesting so we all pretty much know that cambridge is traditional would you be able to break down what traditional means in a date on a day-to-day -day basis for you yeah so i'm going to talk a little bit about what i would have in a typical week so my day would normally start about I'd say about 8.40 when I'd get up and then sort of leg it to my lecture, which is about a five minute walk away from my college, which is one of the great things about Cambridge colleges is that you're so close to everything that you never need to wake up that early to get to where you need to go. But it would get to about nine o'clock in the morning and I'd have a lecture and that would be great. It would be from an expert in their field. They would be really engaging um, and I'd make notes during that. And then at 10 o'clock when the lecture ends, I then have something we could call a nap gap, which is basically every single day we would have a gap between 10 and 12, unless you had a practice on it or unless you had dissection or something. So we all call it a nap gap. So some people did use this as the title suggests to go and have a quick nap. Um, but it was also really useful to go over the lecture before if you'd struggled a little bit or pre-read for your next lecture, which would start at 12. So I then go in for my 12 o'clock lecture. So I'd probably spend my nap grab in the library or at a cafe with some friends doing a bit of work. And then I would go to my lecture at 12 and do the same thing. Uh, another lecture from an expert in their field, something probably like biochemistry. We usually have physiology in the morning and then biochemistry in the, the sitting before lunch. And then at one o'clock, everyone sort of legs it back to college because um, our college meal time is between like 12 30 and 1 30 so when you're coming out of a lecture at one you're like legging it to get to 
get to the canteen. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, I say legging it. We were just really hungry. There's no actual rust. All of the colleges are really, <laughs> really nice in getting you food. So if you got there at one thirty-two, they still let you go in. They feed you. They wouldn't make you make you stop. Good. Yeah, um, and then in the afternoon you probably have a practical. So I think I calculated that over the two years, in all of my practicals, so the biochemistry ones, the pharmacology ones, physiology ones, neuroscience practicals dissections I probably had about 350 hours in these labs so not necessarily like the science lab that you're thinking of at home but across the science labs and the dissection rooms it's probably been about 350 hours because you go to a histology lab for about four hours a week you have two dissection sessions that are both two hours a week um, you have biochemistry practical I had pharmacology practicals every Friday in second year that were three hours long from two until five so oh my god five here on friday that's the graveyard shift <laughs> it is indeed but it gave you quite a lot of incentive to really get on with your practical so not normally you're like standing around chatting but because it's a friday everyone's like the second you finish your practical you're allowed to go so there's a sort of like buzz in the room because everyone's trying to get the practical right but done as fast <laughs> as possible i think someone did a record uh, like the record was someone doing a three-hour practical in 45 minutes wow yeah and they got like they they check our answers at the end and they actually got the answers right even though they've done it in less than a third of the time so if you're are these practicals and things done in the college group so with your like seven other students and all your lectures are there like seven eight people in one lecture no so our college groups so there's eight people in my college as i said and mm -hmm. they split us into practical groups so in my first year i was in m6 which was um, it had four people from my college in M6 and then a, lots of other students from different colleges would also be put into M6 and there was like okay. lots of different, there'd be like M1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So I was in M6 with three other students from my college and there was also lo lots of other people in M6 um, who were from other colleges. And then what would happen is that M6 would have histology on a Monday morning between 10 and 12, whereas M5 or something would have histology practicals in the afternoon between two and four or something like mm -hmm. that with dissection the year was split in half so um, half of the year would go to dissections monday friday and the other half would go to dissection on tuesday thursday right and in your dissection groups are they groups of i think you mentioned before like yeah so i think six or eight i can't actually remember so if anyone from my university who was on my dissection table is listening to this i promise i just can't count um <laughs> Yeah, and it was quite good actually because one of the things I love about Cambridge is that we have both dissection and prosection. So there's often this like harsh dichotomy at universities between do you do prosection, do you do dissection? And the thing is, some universities do both without students actually telling you. So we did have a whole a whole body cadaver to sort of dissect as a group, and that was really it was an experience and a half let's say um it really got to got you to grips with handling equipment safely and it was quite i think it's a rite of passage for medical students really it's like the first time some a lot of people will have experienced a dead body and it's learning how to deal with that and how to respect respect someone when they're when they're no longer there and it was also a really good way to get to know your other medical students because you're all going through that process together but some students in my dissection table really didn't like dissection. They just didn't find it helpful because I think a lot of people are saying now it's it's not you don't get straight in and you see the heart straight away. There's lots of layers of 
of tissue that you have to go through to get to a very specific structure. And at first you can cut through something that's probably like the most important thing and you won't have noticed because it doesn't look like what you expect it to look like because the body's dead, it's not red and you know, it's not the colour that you expect it to be. And you don't really know what to expect mm -hmm. when you're first doing it. So it is easy to cut through things that you, you know, are quite important. But that's when the prosection specialists come in. So they have demonstrators that whilst you're dissecting, are dissecting another uh, a specimen body for you. And then there's like prosection specialists that they've had for years that they then bring out and you do, you sort of have like a stations that you go around so half an hour of my dissection was going into the prosection room and being shown all of the like you know how we've talked about spotter tests before where there'd be a flag pointing at a specific structure we'd have a lot of stations that were like that and we'd yeah. go around sort of in a mock spotter style to identify different things and we talked about all mm -hmm. of the structures that we were looking at by a demonstrator who was amazing and you learn a lot and I really liked that style of teaching and someone said before that, you know, if, if it's really not for you, you can just focus on prosection. You don't have to do the dissection. You can go to the prosection and do that a lot. And we also have one of those like virtual dissection tables where you can touch like this interactive table and it, it's imagining that there's a body there. So that's quite good too. There's loads of different teaching styles for anatomy, which is one of the things I love. And it's taught really well. Good, good. Especially as anatomy can be one of the, the trickiest things to get your head around in the early years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So do you feel like you are missing out in any way that Cambridge doesn't do any PBL teaching? Yeah, so this is another thing that, you know, Cambridge does do PBL. It's just definitely not taught as, as PBL. So I think it's a GMC requirement that, that universities do some element of PBL. So whilst some universities do most of their teaching as PBL, I had maybe three or four sessions of PBL in my first year which was basically more like a seminar seminar style lecture it was just a lecture in smaller groups and then we had to take away something from that lecture choose an element to present on and then present it back to the, that seminar group that's how our PBL worked um, and I knew I didn't like PBL when I was applying to university so I purposely didn't apply to any universities that had PBL. Yes, how did you know you didn't like PBL when you haven't done it? So I went to a open day where they had PBL taster sessions. And I remember sitting in this group and I probably, probably everyone was just really nervous. So that might have like not been a real example of what PBL would have actually been like when I got mm -hmm. to university. But the idea, at least at this PBL session that I was at was that you were supposed to go through a case and then come up with questions that you would ask together. But that really relies on your teammates to work together as a team and to come up with questions together and there's all of these different pbl groups all looking at the same case but can come up with completely different questions and go on completely different tangents and that absolutely terrified me because i thought how are they going to examine me and all of these other pbl groups who have gone on completely different tangents with this one case and that terrified me so i was thinking let's stick to what i know which is being taught and then I'll have my lectures and I can, in my supervisions, that's where I go off on tangents and I learn about patients and I learn about different things that are very clinical. They're all clinically mm -hmm. relevant, but at least I know that I can't be asked anything outside of my lecture material. And that just gave me a lot of confidence in what I was learning. Um, and I knew I wasn't like spending hours on something that wouldn't come up. Yeah. So you mentioned the supervisions oh. and just drop it in there like everyone knows what it is but in case anyone doesn't know what they are would you be able to just explain what a supervision is? 
Yeah, of course. So Oxford has tutorials and Cambridge has supervisions. They're basically synonyms. They are the exact same thing. So a supervision is basically where I, as a medical student, would go into um, a room in my college with two other medical students in my year and an expert in a field. So it could be uh, my, for example, my anatomy supervisions were led by a knee surgeon and he was incredible. And what, what would happen is we would go over, we would go into this, uh, like a supervision room in our college and we'd go over the material for, in anatomy from that week. So I mentioned before we had two sessions. So I had Monday and Friday anatomy sessions and my anatomy supervisions were on a Friday afternoon. So in that anatomy supervision, I would be talking through and sort of tested on my knowledge from Monday and Friday dissection um, sessions. And there's lots of different things that you would get tested on. So it's like anatomy is kind of like asking you about like what nerves innovate something, what vessel innovates something. It's, once you get to medical school, you kind of get into the pattern of anatomy. But it was basically being tested on it, but in a very positive environment. So it's just checking your understanding. And if there was anything you didn't understand, it wasn't like, oh my God, Lucy, you're a complete idiot. Why are you at Cambridge? You should not be here. It was all very, it's okay, this is really complicated. And the reason I'm here as a supervisor, as an expert in this field, is to help you understand it. This is the first time you're coming across it, but I've been doing this for 30 odd years. And so I'm here to help you. And it was just, it was a really, really nice environment to learn. I've heard some rumours that these supervisions take place in the evenings after a full day of lectures and studying and everything like that. Is this true? Yes, so some of you might have been looking on the Oxbridge resource and we'll see a couple of timetables on there and those are some of my timetables actually. And one thing that you'll notice is that my supervisions aren't on there because they're all organised within your college. So the timetable is something that's organised by the university. All of the main medicine teaching is done at a university level, but your supervision teachings are done at the college level. So that's organised internally by my my good friend Lorna, who organises all of our supervisions. Um, it's just easier for one person to sort of schedule when you're going to have each one because they know when they're going to be. So it would usually happen in the evening or, dare I say, on a weekend. So that is one thing you have to watch out for, um, is that we used to have, because our, our weeks are quite jam-packed, as you've said, with lectures and practicals and different things, instead of chucking everything on an evening, we'd sometimes do one on a Saturday or Sunday morning. And you might be thinking that's awful, but my, this, my supervision room was like th a three-minute walk from my bedroom in college. So it really wasn't that bad. And once we'd finished our supervision on a Sunday morning, we'd all go and get brunch because they do brunch in college from 10 till 12. Oh. So it was really nice. <laughs> and how many supervisions would you have in a week? So you usually have a supervision per module you do. So in first year, the main modules that you do are FAB, which is anatomy, MIMS, which is biochemistry, and HOM, which is physiology. So I'd have three supervisions a week one in each of those right. and I'd be set work from those as well so I'd have as probably two of those supervisions would be on an evening during the week and then one would be on a weekend sometimes your supervisor can offer additional supervisions as well so we do embryology as part of anatomy at Cambridge and so we would have an embryology set supervision with our anatomy supervisor and anatomy set supervision with our anatomy supervisor too so right. it it, it varies a lot depending on which college you go to so I definitely re recommend reaching out to medical students at different colleges to find out what their experiences are. What about essays? I know you mentioned earlier another college gets eight how many would you get a week? So this again varies <laughs> but I think yeah. 
my supervisors would set set one every other week so there could be a week where we do where you'd have nothing but then all of your supervisors supervisors would set an essay at once so i'd get three or four and that is challenging but i think what is probably good to say straight away is what essays are to me are completely different to what essays are to some other people so an essay for me would be a question so one of the questions you get set for human reproduction is why so many sperm so it's like talking about why why so many sperm get produced compared to one one egg uh, being released every month and that essay would be sort of three sides of a4 is what i'd be expected to write with that and maybe a few diagrams and that's handwritten that's not typed Whereas when... Oh, what, it has to be handwritten? Yes, uh, some supervisors say that they have to be handwritten. Though right now, because of COVID and not being at university, they're being typed. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Yeah, but for those of you, if any of you normally ha don't uh, handwrite things in exams or anything, that's completely fine. Mm -hmm. That's all, that you can type everything if your handwriting is really bad or, yeah, I'm, one of my friends has um, wrist sprains from like writing too much. So oh, <laughs> she gets to type. Um, yeah but they're they're not that bad someone thinks that some people think they're like an essay is like an entire dissertation you're so you're effectively writing three dissertations a week it's not mm -hmm. the case at all it's just like three sides of a4 and it's just to get you to really understand the material because i uh, when i'm revising i know that there's a depth of knowledge i need to know for essays compared to a breadth of knowledge that i need to know for multiple choice questions so don't worry about essays too much they're really not that bad and what about intercalation? So it's compulsory, isn't it, at Cambridge? Yes. So your first, this is the same as Oxford as well. So you'd have your first two very preclinical years where you're doing all of these different modules. So like physiology, pharmacology, neuroscience, all of these different ones. And then in your third year, you get to do something in a lot more depth. And it's a very sciencey year. So unlike other universities where you can intercalate externally, Cambridge very much like you to do this internally. So I think almost all students stay at Cambridge and I think there are very few circumstances when people can leave to do it elsewhere so this year I will be hopefully intercalating in pharmacology I say hopefully because it is a semi-competitive process because basically what happens in third year is that all of the medical students get put together with all of the natural scientists and all of these different modules open up for you to apply to so I could have applied to the same course that a bio-natural biological natural scientist or bionatsky would be applying to and so that can make it more competitive but you have to remember that because it's lots and lots of people applying there are lots and lots of spaces so don't let that worry you at all. Wait so when you say you're applying to the same course as them do you mean the same course that they're applying to do for three years? No. What do you mean they can also integrate? So <laughs> sorry um, right, Bionatural Sciences is a three-year course, and I'm talking about a second-year Bionatsky applying to do their like a third their third year. They get to very, very, very much specialise into something. So let's talk about right. There might be a Bionatsky, and they start by doing a lot of varied topics. And one of the reasons people go into Bionatsky is because they don't know that they want to do pathology and they want to try lots of different bits of biological natural sciences and then in the third year they they have enough knowledge about what they've liked throughout the two years that they can then jump in and specialize mm -hmm. into pathology so that's sort of similar to me i the only difference really between me and a bionatsky is that i've had some clinical placements i've had two years of anatomy teaching and my modules are a little bit different to their modules so in my right. second year my pathology 
module that I was doing was taught alongside Bionatsky's. My pharmacology that module I was doing was also taught alongside Bionatsky's, but the Bionatsky's have sort of extension lectures. I don't know if this is going into too much depth and it's a bit confusing. No, it, it makes sense. And is this the, are those the same modules that you get taught with vets as well? Yeah, so I would also get taught everything with vets and the vet course is exactly the same as my own, apart from we split for anatomy because I doubt a vet would want to know that much about human anatomy and I, I definitely do not want to know the anatomy about a horse or a dog. Amazing, so I think you've covered really comprehensively what happens when you're at university and then the first three years. How about after the first three years and when, when do clinical placements start? So I know that Cambridge is very much a traditional course but when I've been when we've been doing these interviews and we're talking about when when students get placement, I'm actually thinking it's not that much different to what I would get. So, uh, I mean, in an interview we've just done with Sophie from St George's, she mentioned that she got a week of clinical placement and then two GP visits. So in my first year, I had two GP visits. So I didn't get that five days of clinical placement that St George's did, but I still got two afternoons in a GP. And one of those visits was a home visit that I did by myself and another medical student. So there was no doctor there. It was something that we had been taught about and taught to do. And then you were sort of left to your own devices to go and do a home visit yourself. And then you have to report back to your GP. Right. And then obviously safeguarding reasons, the GP would then go back and assess the patient. Yeah. But that was something that I found quite shocking is that as a, as a first year medical student, I went to go and do a home visit on a patient and talk to them about their, their chronic health condition and assess them as a first year medical student. I thought that was quite cool. Fab. And then what about fourth, fifth and sixth year? Yes, yeah, so that's you've finished your intercalation third year and you actually graduate, which is one of the things I really like about our intercalation is that I'm going to be graduating next year with all of my college friends and all of my other medical students. So I graduate halfway through with the degree that I've intercalated in. So I'm hoping to do pharmacology. I would graduate with a degree in like natural sciences with pharmacology. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's quite fun. And then once you've integrated, once you've graduated, you then are moved into the clinical school. So I'm moving out of college, which is in the centre of Cambridge, and I will move into a house that I'll rent with my friends. And then we'll all go to our clinical school, which is based at Addenbrooke's Hospital. And in, I, th I think in the first, like fourth, in fourth year, you're mainly based in Addenbrooke's and you're, you've got a little bit of lectures and quite a lot of placement. The majority is placement because you've done all your sort of preclinical teaching all in one big ward. In your first three years whereas when you get to clinical school it's all about diagnosing what tests you do what treatments you'd give so it's I, I really like that that's one of the things I really liked about a traditional course is that you get all of the sort of boring learning I actually really like the learning so I wouldn't call it boring but all of that very pure scientific stuff out of the way so that when you get to clinical school you are effectively a mini doctor and you mentioned you're based at Adam Brooks is that the only hospital you're based at or do you go to other ones you go to other ones as well. Addenbrooke's is just the one that's closest to Cambridge. So if you, when you in second year do your hospital placement for a week, you'll be in uh, Addenbrooke's hospital doing different things there. Um, it's an amazing teaching hospital. Cool. So I think one of the things you mentioned then is you'll move out of your college accommodation into a house. And I think that's something quite unique to Cambridge. Um, I don't know if it's the same at Oxford, to be honest, but definitely with you in Cambridge, you're in college accommodation for three years, aren't you? Yeah, so I absolutely love this because I remember when I when we just I first in my first year we just sort of moved in we're just getting settled down and then I was talking to all my friends at other universities and in October they were like yes I'm just starting to look for my house for next year and I was thinking 
October. I've been at university for two weeks because mm. at Oxford and Cambridge, you only start in October. And all of these, and so all of my friends that have been at uni for maybe a month by that point were already, you know, deciding with these people that they've known for four weeks, which house they're going to move into. And I was, I was terrified. I was like, what? You've only known these people for a week. How, how will you know if you'll like them in a year's time? And so the amazing thing about Oxford and Cambridge is that you live in college accommodation and you're guaranteed college accommodation for three years at least, or for the entire duration of your course even. So for medicine, I could live in a college accommodation for six years, but a lot of people choose to live closer to the hospital um, in fourth, fifth and sixth year. Now I can see the benefits of um, being in college accommodation for three years in terms of like getting to know people a bit better without having the pressure of house hunting because it's not a fun task. But what I like, I know for me in my first year, because the university accommodation is normally a lot, a lot more expensive than living in a house. So financially do they offer any support for that because I think that might be a concern for people yeah so it actually for Cambridge living in college accommodation is a lot cheaper just because of how expensive Cambridge is as a town so living right. in, in college accommodation is cheaper a because the college subsidizes some of your accommodation so I think my accommodation per week was 145 pounds in first year which sounds like a heck of a lot of money to anyone else that's yeah, renting a house but if you look at how much a house would cost to rent in Cambridge normally outside of college it's a lot more than that so it's quite good in that respect and college does offer a lot of support um, in subsidizing accommodation further so there's the Cambridge bursary so if you are eligible it's three thousand pounds a year that will help you um, fund your accommodation or anything else you need to study at university and you'll never have to pay that back so you know if you'll be on top of your maintenance loan or it could replace your maintenance loan yeah yeah I guess for context, my university accommodation in first year at Birmingham was, I think, £115 a week, and that was one of the more expensive ones. So, yeah, 145 is a lot, but again, if they've got that bursary and support, that would definitely help. Yeah, plus the other thing that really helps is that I move out of my accommodation every holiday. So whilst you would be paying for your entire year, even when you're going home to spend Christmas with your family, yeah. you'd still be paying for your accommodation at university for us we move mm -hmm. out and so I literally have to repack up my room and take it all home in my oh car my for those of you that live really far away or live internationally don't worry there is storage in the college for you to put all of your stuff in but you do have to move everything out but what that means is for when you've got an eight-week holiday you're not spending 145 pounds for eight weeks that you're not using yeah so you do save a lot of money so I think even though my room is more expensive per week here it would probably work out about the same cost mm -hmm. or even cheaper for me because I'm not spending our term times are shorter and I'm not spending um my money on accommodation I'm not using yeah it sounds like it'd be worth the hassle of moving everything to save that money definitely let's move on now to what it's like as a student at Cambridge in general as opposed to just a medical student at Cambridge how student life etc so uh, I mean it depends on who who you are so if you ask someone from London what student life was like at Cambridge they probably say it's quite boring because it's quite it's a small town but that's what I absolutely love about it is that you'll be walking around it's very it's a student town really so you'll see loads of different students from across the different colleges you'll see people cycling around you'll look outside and see 
the amazing river cam you'll see people punting down it you'll see tourist groups you'll see the amazing beautiful old colleges all the time and when the sun comes out it's like shining on the white brick of the senate house in cambridge it's honestly the most beautiful place in the world and i can't imagine that i'm actually studying there it feels very very lucky to be there um but just in terms of like general day-to-day -day living one of the things i love is about how busy and bustling this small town is it's got like an amazing market and because there's so many people from across the world coming to visit cambridge it always feels like there's something going on and there'll be like um people busking um on the outside of the senate house and there'll be protests and there'll be like really cool amazing amazing things going on but in terms of like nightlife i mean cambridge is a really small town and I think in terms of club density, we'd be winning because there's, I think, maybe six clubs in a hundred metre radius. I don't know. It's like, it's a high density of clubs if people are into that. But, you know, there are only six in Cambridge. So whether that would float your boat or not. Now, I think one final question before we move on to quickfire, because I'm aware we've been talking for a, a quite a while now. You mentioned um, your medic children and earlier you mentioned your medic wife or your college wife. Would you be able to explain to some people who think that you're maybe <laughs> maybe a little crazy getting married and having children so young? Obviously, we don't judge anyone, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the college system is incredible for supporting you and so there's like a kind of peer mentoring thing so some of you might be peer mentors at your school where you sort of help other students who are in lower down in lower years and you sort of support them as they move up through the school and that's kind of the way the the college marriage and children system works so when i was in first year there's always a really big competition on who can do the best proposal so i always like to tell the story of how my college wife lauren and i decided we were going to get married and so in order to propose to her I took her to our favourite ice cream shop called Jack's Gelato in Cambridge and I got our like wedding bracelets and I put them at the bottom of the ice cream pot and then the guy put ice cream on top of it and then we shared this ice cream together until she got down to like this weird like um, plastic with 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 the um bracelet saying she was like oh my god lucy what is in our ice cream and she like pulls it out mm. and there's like this note that says will you marry me and she suddenly like melts in my arms and we're married and it's oh it's cute and you have a marriage formal with all of the other people getting married in your college it's just a great it's a really crazy system but it's really fun and so then when lauren and i my college wife moved into second year we then got college children and so mm. i have two college sons who are both medics in first year at my college and it's sort of a really nice system because you can help them move in. You know exactly what they went through in first year and you can help them out. We pass our notes down from generation to generation. Oh, do you? And it's, yeah, it's really nice. We go, we go out together and um, take them for, for, to cafes. We take them, you know, we'll go out clubbing together. We, it's, it's just, it's a really nice environment. It's really, really lovely. Okay, let's go on to quickfire. Oh, yes, quickfire time. Number one, what's the best thing about Cambridge Medicals? yeah oh this is a really hard one okay i'd have to say the people and the college system just i met the the most amazing seven or ten other people in my college that are like my my little family okay what's the hardest thing about your course mm, so your term times are shorter so i will have a nine week term approximately and i have a lot of contact hours so it's probably about 30 to 40 contact hours a week and that can be a, a lot on your plate and it can be quite stressful at times but you, that's because the term is compacted into those nine weeks rather than like 12 or 15 so it's 
a lot when you're at university mm -hmm. for nine weeks but then you get nine weeks off almost to just relax at home and to take the material that you've learned maybe on a on a slower scale you can do it at your own time without being just like rushed through the paces yeah. at university which it sometimes feels like why did you choose Cambridge specifically and your college in particular so I chose Cambridge in general because I definitely wanted to go somewhere that had a traditional course. I wanted to do somewhere that had intercalation and I wanted somewhere that was really research focused, which Cambridge is. Um, and one of the things I really like about it is how much they support students getting involved in research. So my director of studies helped me get a research internship and like make my own project at Yale. So unfortunately, I was supposed to go this summer, but it's now been postponed to next summer. And there's so much funding available to support students doing this. And there's also funding available to support students doing their electives because Oxford and Cambridge are quite rich institutions. They do like they put and channel all of the money that they're getting back into their students. So one of the things I really like about it is how much financial support and just like sort of academic support you get at the, at the university. And I know that's very similar for Oxford too. But why I chose Cambridge over Oxford is probably because of the sort of vibe I got from students at Cambridge was they're very much well-rounded individuals. Obviously they're smart. Everyone that goes to medical school or Oxford or Cambridge or any other university is smart. But what I got from them is that they weren't just smart, that they were all just really lovely down to earth people. Uh, whereas at Oxford, I didn't get that vibe as much. And so I went for Cambridge and also because Cambridge has dissection and I didn't know whether I'd like it or not, but I at least wanted the opportunity to try and give it a go. Okay. And what tips do you give to any of our listeners who are thinking they would like to apply to Cambridge? Um, I'd have to say don't let the BMAT get you down. Uh, a lot of people focus on the, these all these different parts of their application and thinking oh goodness my, my BMAT is really not really not that good. Honestly my BMAT was terrible and I'm still here. I, I got my BMAT results and I was pretty sure I wasn't going to apply to Cambridge because they were that bad and then my mum was like no why don't you just do it anyway because the only reason you won't get in if you is because you won't apply um at this point and so my mum was like my biggest advocate and even after my interview when I thought no that went awfully I'm never going to go never going to get in uh it was it was fine the interviews are, are kind of weird because every other medical school is about you as a medical student and how you'd be a great doctor Oxford and Cambridge is very much you as a scientific person how you approach different questions and so just don't be afraid in your interview to think out loud I always say it's perfectly fine to say I don't know but you can't just stop there you need to say I don't know but from my knowledge of what I've learned in biology chemistry or whatever you've been doing I would try this and they just say they say no and that's when you've got to keep going and so it's about building up your resilience to say even though I've got that bit wrong I'm going to keep going and keep suggesting other ideas and they really do help you out in the interview don't feel like you will feel like you're completely stupid I did but it's also quite it's quite fun if you like being pushed to your limits and trying to be challenged on what you know then you'll really like the interview and you'll really like supervisions and tutorials so that wraps up this episode and it was a bit of a whopper but I think we can all agree that the Cambridge system is not necessarily the most straightforward so it definitely needed all that time to thoroughly explain it and hopefully now you guys have got all the information you need to make an informed decision. Yeah I hope I've convinced you that Cambridge is definitely the one to apply for over Oxford, it's definitely superior in every single way, though I'm not sure that Soham from our previous Oxford episode would agree with me. I hope I've answered some of the burning questions that you have but as always if there is anything that you haven't understood from this episode or anything more you want to know make sure to just comment in the 
blog post that this episode is attached to and I'll make sure I reply to it as soon as I can. Also make sure you follow Medic Mentor on Twitter at MedicMentor1 and on Instagram at MedicMentor as we're getting more and more active on there and we'll be promoting our episodes on there as well and subscribe to whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on now so you don't miss any other episodes. I think that's all so take care guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.